morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 2, Psalm 2, which is on page 448 in the Pew Bible. Now, as you are turning to Psalm 2, just a few words on the placement of our psalm. Our psalm for this morning is set at the very beginning of the Psalter because it is meant in conjunction with Psalm number 1 to set the stage for the rest of the psalms. It is as if Psalms 1 and 2 are the doorway through which we must pass before we can enter into the rest of the psalms that we have. To put it another way, Psalm 1 sets the stage that tells us that the path to eternal life must be followed through taking joy and delight in the law of the Lord and following the way of God's Word. Psalm 2, then in conjunction with Psalm 1, says that if we would follow this path of eternal life, we must follow the King of Righteousness. You see, there is a battle in this world. There is a war that was announced in Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord God said to Satan, our enemy, I will put enmity, that is war, that is conflict, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is, there is going to be a battle between those who follow the way of Satan and those who follow the way of God's anointed king. Through the powers of this world, Satan will oppose and oppress God's appointed ruler and his followers. But in the end, this son, this offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He will win the war. This is the big story. This is the overarching drama of history. A king is coming to establish the way of deliverance from the work of Satan. And what Psalm 2 is promising us this morning is that if we would follow the path of life that is promised in Psalm 1, we must follow this anointed King. So hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. My holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all 
who take refuge in Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord lasts forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to You now at this time and we pray that You would teach us of Your Word that we might truly follow the King all the days of our lives and even unto eternity. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. In our psalm for this morning, we learn how we follow the Lord's King. And the first thing that we need to know about following the true King is that His reign is opposed by the world. The rulers of this world do not want to relinquish their power and they do not want to submit to the coming reign of God's appointed King and so they oppose His kingdom and His people. Again, verses 1-3, through we read of this enmity against the Lord's anointed King. You see there in your text, again, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Now the anointed, that is the same word that is elsewhere translated Messiah or Christ. It is the king, it is the ruler has been set aside who has been anointed to that office. And they have set themselves against the Lord. They've set themselves against the Christ, against the anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You see, it is difficult to give up power. Rare is the case that a king or a president voluntarily relinquishes their position And so it should come as no surprise that the rulers of the world would not be happy about the idea of submitting to the true king. When the Lord's anointed, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings, did come to this earth to fulfill Psalm 2, we read in Acts 4, after these very verses are quoted from Psalm 2, for truly in this city, There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. When God's anointed king came, the powers of the earth conspired together and had him killed. They crucified the Lord of glory. And you must understand this if you would follow Jesus as King. Because just as the world conspired against Jesus, they will conspire against those who seek to follow Him. In various ways and with varying intensity, the rulers of this age will plot against and oppose those who desire to follow Christ. Jesus told us in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You see, 
Many have bowed the knee to Christ, but not their hearts. And when the outward benefits of following Christ are outweighed by the troubles of following Christ, they abandon their Lord. They abandon their confession. They are like the seed that is thrown on rocky soil that quickly sprouts up, but when the troubles of this world enter in, it is revealed that they have no root. And as you hear in Psalm 2 that those who would follow the true King will be oppressed, you must ask yourself, have I outwardly professed Christ because of the short-term benefits or because I have been born again and will follow Him unto eternity no matter the opposition? Those of you who are young in elementary school and in middle school, You might want to take communion. You might even be asking your parents, you know, I I want to take communion. Is it because everyone else is taking communion that you want to begin to do this? Or is it because you desire to follow Christ? Those of you who are in confirmation class in high school, as you are going through confirmation, are you doing it because it's just the age that you are at and everybody else that is this age is doing it? And you don't want to seem like an outcast? Or are you professing your faith because you love Christ? Because you have been born anew? And adults, you must ask yourself, am I here in church? Am I a member of this church? Am I attending this church because my spouse wants me to? Or it's because what the culture of Lynchburg says that I'm supposed to do? It's just because it's something that I am supposed to do as a good person? Or is it because you know that there is life nowhere else except in the blood of Jesus Christ? And no matter the opposition that arises, you will follow after Him. For there will be a day when the truth is revealed. And it will either be before the throne of God or when the threat of persecution is greater than the benefit of belonging outwardly to the church. For through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And you must know that if you would follow the King, there will be opposition. But despite this opposition, the psalm asks, why? Why? Why did the nations plot in vain? Why do they follow such a path of insanity of opposing the king? For though they seek to oppose the reign of Christ, what we see is that his reign will certainly be established. Look at verses 4 through 6. They speak of this certainty. It says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. If we would follow the true King, we must realize that His reign is certain and that the nation's opposition is a joke. The omnipotent God looks down upon the glory and the power of the nations and He laughs at them. If you have ever seen a military parade, it's a powerful event. You see the pageantry and the power, the tradition. 
You see soldiers in uniform and formation. You see the firepower and the weaponry. You hear the trumpet blast, feel the percussion beat. And when you see it and hear it and feel it, the blood rushes and your hairs stand on end and the emotion makes you want to cry because of the overwhelming awe of what is displayed before you. And God laughs at it. Like proud chickens strutting around the farmyard, showing off their feathers, thinking that the powers of this world are going to impress God. For in the sight of God, they are nothing but a joke. All of their nuclear arsenals can do nothing to thwart His power. All He has to say is, Boo! And they run away like cockroaches when you turn on the light. And if we would follow King Jesus, you must know this about the King you follow. His kingdom is certain. As verse 6 says, I have set my King on Zion. The speaker of verse 6 is God the Father. And He is speaking of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when this psalm was written, the reference would have been, to David and his line of sons, the Davidic line of kings, that is the royal sons who descended from David, to whom the Lord called His Son and appointed Him as King over Israel. However, the universal language of this psalm shows us that the royal line of David was always meant to lead us straight to Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is of the line of David, He is, according to the flesh, the rightful fulfillment of this text. Yet even more than that, as the Son of God, He is also the only one who could fulfill the certain and universal promises of Psalm 2. And we need assurance. Because this certain reign has begun in weakness. The universal King did not begin His reign in Rome or Athens. It did not begin in London or Moscow or Berlin. His reign did not begin in Beijing or Washington, D.C. It began in Zion. And Zion is not a place of international power. At the time of the fulfillment of this verse, it was occupied by a foreign power. And the king of Zion rode in on a donkey. And by the end of the week was crucified by the powers of this world. You see, His rule began in weakness. And if you would follow this King, you must trust the certainty that this weakness will end in power. That His defeat on the cross was actually His victory over death. That His blood was shed to win a people through the forgiveness of sin and their redemption from the grave. Yes, the reign of this King begins in weakness. But even now, the resurrected Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven. His rule is certain. But for a period, it remains in weakness. You see, the question of why the nations plot in vain, why they, do they pursue this path of insanity? Because they look at the weakness of a king established on Zion and they think they can beat him. They think they can win. 
But if we would follow Christ, if we would follow the true King, we must know that despite the present outward weakness that we see, His reign is certain. And though we fear the powers of this world, our God laughs at them because His reign is established. If you would follow the King of glory, you must know His reign is opposed. And so you will be opposed. You must know that His reign is certain, though for a period it remains in weakness. And the third thing you must know is that His reign is sovereign over all the earth. That is, His rule is universal and unstoppable. Look at verses 7-9 through of your text. Here the speaker shifts From God the Father speaking about God the Son to now God the Son speaking about what God the Father said to Him. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Three things I want you to see in verses 7-9 through concerning the sovereign reign of Christ. And the first thing is that His reign is a legitimate reign. That is, He has the right and authority to rule as King because He is the Son of God. The Lord has decreed, He has made an authoritative statement concerning this King that is His Son. And the Son of God has therefore the right to rule over all of God's creation. The Apostle Paul, alluding to Psalm 2, says in Romans chapter 1 that this king was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. You see, Jesus is the rightful King because He is the Son of God. The second thing that we see in these verses is that Jesus is the universal King. God the Father has given God the Son the nations. There is not one square inch of this creation that does not belong to Him. And if you would follow Him as the rightful sovereign King, you must understand this truth. Despite what the nations say, it is not cultural imperialism to spread the Gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not insensitive to tell the nations to give up their false gods and religions. We have the right and we have the obligation to see every tongue, tribe, people, and a nation abandon their folly and submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The nations rage and say you have no right to impose your religious views upon us. But we impose nothing but freedom through the reign of Christ. We spread nothing but the truth for Christ alone has the right to receive honor and power and glory from the nations. And third, we see that His sovereign reign is unassailable. For His rule is like a rod of iron compared to pots of clay. Who do you think is going to win that battle? 
There will be no opposing the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of His coming. There will be complete and overwhelming victory over His adversaries. You see, this is the determined end of all things. Jesus as the universal, unrivaled King. All the events of history, all the exigencies of your life will be wrapped up in this one truth. All the questions will be answered on that day. All the failures and triumphs, the heartaches and joys, the frustrations and successes will come to their appointed end at the coronation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we must see all of life through the truth of Psalm 2. All the brokenness and pain, all the disease and war are nothing but the vain ragings of nations and the rebellion of Satan himself. But they will come to an end when Christ is enthroned as the rightful heir of all things. For He will defeat all sin and finally death itself and will sit down to reign forever and ever. Even as the angel declared to Mary before the birth of Christ, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David and of His kingdom there will be no end. His reign is sovereign. So why the delay then? Right? If His coming will be so glorious, if it will bring an end to all pain and mourning, when I see the families of our church dealing with relational struggles, when I see friends dealing with addiction, when I see widows mourning the loss of husbands, when I see disease spreading throughout the world, I call out, come Lord Jesus, come bring an end to it. If your coming means the end of all pain and trouble and the beginning of an eternity of joy, why are you delaying? Why not just come? And if you would follow the King Jesus then you must understand why His coming is delayed lest you lose heart. The Apostle Peter addresses this very question when he writes in Second Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why the delay? Because God desires to show mercy. Before the foundation of the world, the Lord chose a people for Himself. And He delays until all of His people repent and come into His kingdom. Listen to the call to repentance in verses 10-12. through It says, because of this, because Jesus will come, the anointed will reign sovereignly. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the king. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, God's Word is offering to all people the opportunity for mercy. The King is extending His arm of clemency and pardon to all who will kiss the King. Now, to kiss the King 
would have been a sign of complete submission. Culturally, most likely, what this means is kiss the feet of the king. Those who are powerful and mighty must become abject servants of the one true king. They must bow before him and give him complete submission unless they be destroyed in their opposition against him. And this promise of mercy is not merely for the kings and rulers of this world, but it's for all people who stand opposed to the rule of Christ in their lives. For we have all sought to rule over our own lives. And we have a sense that we have a right to determine who we are and how we are to behave. However, if you would know the blessing of eternal life, if you would know the blessing of the eternal kingdom and forgiveness in Christ, then you must completely submit to Jesus Christ. You must kiss the Son and become a servant and follow Him. Why the delay? Why does the kingdom remain behind a veil of weakness and we remain oppressed for a period of time so that all of God's people would come to kiss the Son? That is, so that all His people would repent of their vain rebellion and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. If you would follow Christ, you must know that He delays His coming so that He might show mercy to all who would repent And believe and follow Him. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis retells the story of a missionary to Ethiopia, Dick McClellan, about 42 evangelists who wanted to take the Gospel to other tribes that were in the Gopher region of Ethiopia. He tells the story, these men moved their families to Gopher, rented land, built houses, planted crops, had their new neighbors in, gossiped the gospel to them. Some of them received the Savior. Prayer houses were built where they met for fellowship and worship. But too many changes took place. Converts no longer went to witch doctors, no longer paid the priest's tax to the Orthodox priest, no longer slipped bribes to the government officials for needs or favors. So a police lieutenant arrested the evangelist Atero, chained his wrists together, clamped his ankles together in heavy iron rings so he could only hop but not walk. And he paraded Atero in front of the market day crowd and let it be known that this is what would happen to anyone who followed the, quote, new religion. He ordered Atero, go back to your own tribe. Take your Jesus thing with you. We don't want your Jesus here. Then McClellan says that Atero hopped forward and said, Oh, please, sir, listen, please. I can go, but the gospel will stay. By the power of God, I planted Jesus in Gopha. He is planted in the hearts and the souls of the Gopha people. I can go, but Jesus will stay. This is how we must follow the King. For a season, His kingdom will be opposed by the rulers of this world. But we must know that His sovereign, merciful reign will be established. And though we may perish, of His kingdom there will be no end. We may go, but Jesus the King will stay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you now in this time and we feel the oppression of this world against us. We know that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Father, we know that this opposition comes not only outwardly from the rulers of this world, but also from the principalities and the powers that are at work in the spiritual realm that come against those who would seek to follow after Christ. And so, Lord, we lift up the shield of faith that would extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy that would seek to obscure the path of following Christ. We pray that for all of us here, that we would set our eyes upon King Jesus and that we would follow Him all the days of our lives, even unto eternity. By Your grace, we pray this. Amen.